Domerado, I, I have something to ask that I think ties into what um, you and Corey are talking about. Can I ask that real quick? Okay. So what I've noticed is that the more and more I investigate and look into and examine the feelings and thoughts that are going on, it wears on the wholesome state that I've been able to sustain and continue. I find that it, it, it kind of sometimes interrupts that. And I was curious if, if you had anything to say about that as well, because what I've thought is sometimes well, sure. more. Sure, of course it does. Just think about it, that when you're up and then you have a negative thought, it's going to bring you down. That's all you're saying. And I say, okay, so when you're up, be on guard. So when those negative thoughts come, they won't pull you down. But what you're finding out today is, is there's a lot of them there. So we have yeah. to continue to be on guard. Yeah, but there's another part to it. The other part to it is that when I start look like, so what I've been doing, right, is, is going away from the unwholesome, replacing mm -hmm. the unwholesome with the wholesome and cutting that root plant, right? That root structure. So when I notice I can't do it, ah, I see you gone, ah, wholesome. Mm -hmm. But what I'm noticing is that when I focus on the unwholesome thought and then investigate it, examine it, that puts a damper on the wholesome state that I've been able to create for myself. Of course, so what I was, that's what we're talking about. There's no, I mean, okay. this is absolutely ordinary. So of what I was, so what I was happen. curious about is if if we are supposed to also examine and investigate, if we want to really find out what's going on, and really like, you know, if that's what we really want to do, how can we do that and yet keep up this wholesome state? Do we just you focus on the that, wholesome state? You're making rules little, again. You're making rules. Yeah, well, I was the one who kind of suggested cool. it, so I'll, I'll uh, give my two cents on what I experienced with it. So when you concentrate on something, you go deeper into it. So if you are in a positive state and a negative state comes up and you concentrate on the negative state, it's going to increase. You're going to feel more negativity because you're concentrating on it. So really, you're not trying to really concentrate on the negativity. You're trying to concentrate on the wholesome thought and the wholesome state that you just left, right? So there's a difference between being aware of something and kind of like like a good good one to practice is like, hello, darkness, mild friend, that one. If you can kind of do that, so you're in a wholesome state and then a whole negative or an unwholesome thought comes up and you go, hello, darkness, mild friend, that's kind of, you're still being aware of it. You're being aware of it, but it's really quick and fading and passing. And you're not really, focused on keeping it anymore and if you if you look at it like an old friend it, it really allows you to look at and understand whatever the negativity is coming from and then you just kind of laugh it away so like an experience well, that's of that what i've me, been doing that's mm -hmm. what i've been yeah. doing for the past few days Corey. That, that, that's exactly what i've been doing what i'm asking about and i appreciate that but what i'm asking about is is there is there more is there more investigation required than that? Is that all the investigation no. that's required? No. Just noticing Any, it? No, that's it. listen to me. Any investigation that is required that you're not doing will come with the skill development that you're okay. doing now. 
Okay, so this I just don't need to. Development. I don't need to worry about it because I I have people you, like you need to stop worrying altogether. You need to see okay. the worry itself and stop doing it and just be happy. Okay, all right, guys. I think I need to get off because I I feel like this has been very intellectually. Um, this has been very intellectual. And hang I need on for a second because we you've still got that original question in there that you okay. haven't got answered yet. That this has all been preliminary, and that okay. is the the repetition of the unwholesome. As you're developing the skill of seeing that stuff, two things are going to happen. One, you're going to be seeing it more often than you used to. So that thing that looks like things are getting worse, not better. Yeah. The other one is, is that now if you're not careful because of the old rule system that you have, and now that you put wholesome and unwholesome as part of your rule system, and so you begin to see every wholesome thought as bad, which means you're doubling its dirt. So you're doubling the frequency of seeing the dirt and you're doubling the dirtiness of the dirt. And that's a standard way of doing things for the intermediate student. That's not a big deal until you make it a big deal. But we make it a big deal rather than, oh, just another thought. Never mind. Oh, just another thought. Never mind. It's the way to go. You're saying you're actually still trying to get something accomplished when there really is nothing to be accomplished. Think of it in the sense that all you have to do is see that thought, and that's the only job that you have to do, to see it and make it wholesome. There is no more job to be done. That's the job. Well, then then why this whole ax business and, and, and the right that's effort the, and all that's this? That's the job. That's the whole point is, is that you are taking an unwholesome thought and you're changing it into wholesome. Uh -huh, yeah. I see you as the wholesome thought. That's all the job there is to do, is to change it from an unwholesome to a wholesome. You That's what I've been doing. doing. That. Yes, but you haven't been doing it for the past five years. You've been doing it for the past five days. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you're wanting too much. And the, and the thing to do is beginning to see that wanting. Yes, and I've that, seen the wanting too. I've seen it. Okay. I've All seen right. it. So say I see the wanting and now I can be satisfied without getting what I want. Okay. All right. You still practice the uh, the becoming satisfied. That's the whole yeah. quality that we're looking for. And you are absolutely still wanting something. In this moment, but I, I've been doing way better but, than that past couple of days right congratulations that you're not wanting so much i'm not wanting so much even That's in this moment funny. i'm not wanting so much wow what a relief that is <sighs> congratulate yeah. yourself for that job well done yeah and recognize there's no more jobs to do other than that one that's the only job there is to do i don't know i mean i just feel like i just feel like crying and nothing's coming out. There's just there's just so much that I've been doing the past few days. I've I've been I've been I've been really dedicated to thoughts. this. I hear all of those negative thoughts. I really do. I hear them. <laughs> Soldier. Soldier and on. Yeah, I can yeah. hear that. Uh-huh.
Congrats on the project so far, man. It's coming pretty good. What'd you say, Corey? I said, congrats on your practice so far. I mean, it's really starting to bear fruit. Oh, absolutely. We need to make sure that uh, uh, Alex uh, hears that. You're making progress. Congratulate yourself. Thank you. All right. Thank you have you. learned to hill climb, and now you find yourself on the side of a mountain that you didn't know was there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's I'm the back. same thing. Hi, Ron. One step at a time. One step at a time. Okay. One moment at a time. Yeah, this moment. Can you enjoy this moment? Never mind uh, about will you lose it. This moment. I'm enjoying this moment. That's yeah, a, your journey can be a million steps, but the only step that matters is the next this, one you take. This one. Exactly. This one. Yeah. Watch where you put this footprint now. Thank and you, guys. Okay. Of course. A very, it's very silly for. example of that is, is the uh, the farmer is on this side of the pasture and the cows are over on the other side of the pasture. If he, he keeps his eye on the cows because they're moving around a little bit and he wants to go over there, he's got to give them a shot or something. If he keeps his eye on the cow, by the time he gets to the cows all the way across the pasture, he's going to be covered in shit. <laughs> Cow shit. But if he watches every step that he takes... He only has to keep the cows way off in the distance, just heading in the right direction. And now just one step at a time. Watch where you put this foot. And he can get all the way over to the cows at about the same period of time. But now you're not covered with shit. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. So if you think of it that way, that every time that you're, one of those thoughts come up about, well, what if I lose it? Or what if this happens? That's the what about isms, and it's based upon that expectation that there's going to be trouble. But you see, also so you sometimes say, that don't creates step in that step a kind of right now. Don't step on that one right now. This step, yeah. okay? So you got to watch where you're stepping. Yeah, and sometimes that also creates a kind of pressure to not step in that step. You know what I mean? Ah, like, watch I'm not going to miss that one. It's a cow pie too. Watch the pressure yeah. you're putting on yourself. That's the cow pie. I, I, I knew you were going to say that. I, I'm just going to keep think, trusting myself. I'm just going to keep practicing the way I've been. I'm not I changing anything. I think another anything. important thing is not to tell yourself, anything. even if you do step on the cow shit, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It'll be right. funny. Step in the cow okay. shit. Yeah, it's okay. The cow, yeah, you're, you're in the business of cow shit. <laughs> You've been living in it your whole life, and now you're worried about one more step in it. <laughs> yeah, right. the first step is becoming aware that you're stepping in cow shit. Yeah, that's the first thing. Instead of being uh, being angry at yourself for stepping into cow shit, just look at what you're doing. Because if you're angry at yourself for stepping into cow shit, then you won't be paying so much attention to the cow shit because you want to avoid it. You I can like see the it as well. And then you I can't see I'll... it very well. I think I also just am ready for a nice long rest, honestly. I would be recommending that from the day one, that you should have been resting rather than practicing. I mean, what you need to practice is resting. Yeah, going to rest. Yeah, take a rest. Take a load off the mind. Uh, it's okay to feel good. It's okay to feel good. Oh, Thank you guys. Also, your good. mind it's is just, your mind is actually what's stopping you from feeling good. You know, it's oh, just I, doing what it's I'm, supposed to. I know, Ron. 
I know. <laughs> That's always nice my... yeah. What? Well, I was kind of curious nice about why the mind stops us from being happy. What was that? Guys, I'm going to go. Play? I'm going to go enjoy the rest of the evening. I love you guys. Okay. Thank you. But I thought you said that it was like the mind's job to stop us from being happy. Or that the mind... Yeah, like, what do you mean? What was that? Here, wait. I'm going to explain in a few seconds. I just need to to find... All right. Wait. Here. All right. So, basically, the brain is designed to, to keep us safe, not happy. The job duties of the brain are reproduce and survive. Mm -hmm. Happiness is a human construct. It's an abstract idea with no equivalent in actual human experience. In fact, a state of contentment is discouraged by nature. It would lower our guards against possible threats to our survival. So the happiness and positive thinking industry has led us to believe that sustained and lasting happiness is realistic and often purchasable. So with that being said, if you are unhappy at times, it's not a shortcoming that demands repair. The fluctuation of happiness and sadness is actually what makes you human. Okay. No, that makes sense with uh, what I've experienced. So that lands up. Cool. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes, exactly. That's actually quite beautiful. Who wrote that? I don't know. I just saw it on Instagram. Okay. <laughs> well, it's got a lot of wisdom in it for people because, yeah. oh, hello, Damadas Robert. Good to see you. Hello. Hey, how's it going? Yes, we're we're talking about uh, the way that the brain is uh, uh, wired or function. It uh, developed that process as safety and security. Exactly. Or, or self-preservation. That's what the brain was designed to do. And the thing is, because it wasn't of evolution, it developed. Right, it developed in evolution. Yeah. And because of because of evolution, our brain is built based off what worked the best for the last, you know, 50,000 years, not or the maybe last 500 or maybe 500 years. Even. Right. Because if the further back you go, the more this makes sense. Exactly. And, in our, and, and here's the thing that our modern society, actually all of human culture uh, has been around two major issues. One is um, knowledge including writing and the Gutenberg and now the internet. So uh, human knowledge is one of the, the qualities. But the other quality of civilization is, is the safety and security. The reasons why cities were built with forts and with uh, um, uh, walls and all of that was for humans to feel safe or, in fact, to come out of the primitive existence that we were talking about of where we grew up. We grew up in the jungle. And so humans, in order to feel safe, they built a city. Except hmm. that because humans didn't get out of their fear, they only got out of the danger. Yeah, but our minds we are wind still up, The mind is still quite primitive in that regard. And that what we uh, so the, the joke then is, is that uh, the city is actually just a concrete jungle. <laughs> Because of the human, they go to the city to be safe and they wind up feeling afraid there. 
And not only that, but humans can manipulate other humans into fear so that they can take advantage of them. An example of that is the gun-toting uh, robber. He's got that gun to make you afraid, so you'll do what he tells you to do. How does he make you afraid? By putting you in danger. Our parents put us in danger. If you don't go to school and learn your ABCs, there's going to be danger for you. So we, in fact, the human still, even though the whole point of the human being is to, to build a society that's not dangerous, we still find the danger there. And guess what? Most of that danger is false positives. So if we could say then that what real happiness should be is, is that we can tell the difference between what's a real danger and what's a false positive. That would be the wisdom. And so if there is only a false positive and the danger doesn't exist and that we can actually give our permission intellectually to feel safe, that then would be happiness. The first item on the list of happiness would be to feel safe. You can't be happy if you feel in danger. And so uh, if we're going to feel uh, um, happy, basically we'd say is happiness is living in reality rather than in the primitive fears that came part of the human package. And to say it that way means that we need to spend more time in the frontal cortex or in our adult state and less time in this argument between the parent and the child where the parent's setting the rules and the child is either jumping or rebelling against the rules that we have. And so that's also part of the meditation practice is learning to see these rules, learning to see these expectations that we have, learning to see these attitudes that we have because we have control over them if we can see them. And not all of them are bad. And not all of them are bad. No, in fact, uh, um, that's the whole quality that uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa um, uh, refers to in several of his works. One of them is in uh, the, the work with the title of Void Mind. Now, immediately Western, when they hear void, they immediately think completely empty, a vacuum, Empty out of space or something like that, or, or in fact, uh, mentally, no thought at all. But what Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa is talking about is void of unwholesome or, let us say, wrong thoughts, the wrong rules, the wrong thoughts. And what I mean by wrong is, is that it gives us danger inappropriately, that we feel danger when there is no danger there. But in fact, if there is real danger, we should be able to feel that. We should know what real danger is. That in fact, one of the ways of saying it is, is that wisdom is going to now kind of substitute most of the job of danger because wisdom will say, if I go to that alleyway, it might be dangerous. Therefore, I'm going to go around the block. I'm not going to go through the alley. And I don't have to feel fear while I'm walking down the alley, whether there's actual danger down the alley or not, I'll be more fearful by walking down the alley. I can have a whole lot more joy by walking out in the daylight or uh, uh, in the streetlights. 
So that's an example, but we can see that in many places that if we can bring wisdom to play, then we can avoid the dangerous situation so that we never feel the fear. But we have to be able to see what makes us afraid. And that seeing of what makes us afraid then is the wisdom so that we know to avoid it in advance rather than having to deal with it when it comes up in the mind. But for the beginner, it's going to be coming up already because he's not already in a state of wisdom of knowing how to avoid danger. And so we deal with fear on a regular basis. And we have all kinds of words for that, okay? Let me give you a list of words that have uh, uh, the basic uh, feeling of that. Anxiety, tension, stress, worry, restlessness, all of that has to do with a pain avoidance or the threat of pain. And that's and the it threat. all circles back to anticipation of the future. Precisely so, exactly. Because right now everything is marvelous. I have never seen a student anywhere in my whole life that was actually in stress in the moment when we were speaking. <laughs> it's only when they get off by themselves and start stressing themselves out by thinking about what went wrong in the past, setting it against some standards or something. And the better standard to use for the past is it's dead now. That's the standard that we can set for the past. It's over, <laughs> it's dead, and it cannot be resurrected, dusted off, and beat back into shapes and call it a future. The past is dead. Doesn't exist. And that's a good attitude to have because then that means it all. Even this moment, too, will be dead. Uh-huh. Even this moment, too, will be dead. Everything's going to die. The past that's the is beauty dead. of impermanence. Yeah, that's the beauty of impermanence, is everything is over. So, given that, we can feel good about the present moment and practice feeling good about the present moment rather than dealing with these thoughts about what if things go bad call this what about is and as i'm saying about it early in, in this talk that didn't get recorded that it has to do with something that happens in the mind that is almost pre-verbal or pre-thought that is uh basically an attitude or uh, as Jeff was describing it, um, an expe expectation. Okay, so he expects trouble without even having a thought of trouble. And because of the expectations of trouble, he's going to start pumping adrenaline into the body. And because of the adrenaline being pumped into the body, he feels anxiety. And so in that regard, the body is congruent but in an, uh, with the mind, but in another way, everything is out of kilter because we're not actually living in the present moment. We're living either in the past or the future, being afraid right now, 
of something that's not fearful right now. That's the incongruence. And it springs from that attitude or that um, expectation or that something in there that happens so fast in a tenth of a second or more. And sometimes it can actually turn that adrenaline gland on full force instantly. Okay. Um, hearing the sound of uh, the siren while you uh, at the same time see red and light, uh, red and blue lights flash on the inside of your car. Yeah. And just seeing that stuff is enough to put most people in a panic. Trigger. It triggers them. Okay. Another one is, is that you're on your way to an important meeting and uh, uh, all of a sudden you remember that you didn't bring your resume or the cell phone or you forgot something. And that triggers us. And for me, I guess it's the same for you, is, is that something in the mind says is that I've got to get to the office on time but now I've got to go home, get that document and get back to the office at that same time. So now my car actually is going to be going 20 or 30 miles an hour faster. After I've recognized that I've got to turn around and go back home and get something. Right, but it happened hey, instantly. Oh, hey, Robert. something's wrong. Oh, hi. Yeah, sorry, Brandon. Brandon had to call me up. Um, about something earlier. Sorry for leaving very abruptly. No worries. Great. Yeah. Um. Um. I mean, this is something that we kind of had like talked about a couple times before. Um. And there is like a there is an interesting experience of long term beliefs or long term. You could call them a long term thought, right? It's a it's mm -hmm. a thought that is maintained somehow over time it's very weird it's not an arising and passing what it's i might call recognition. like recognition huh pattern recognition almost mm -hmm. there's something that you see continuously that keeps on making this thought pop up um maybe i don't know i think that that might be a different area of the mind different that's more of like an aspect of the mm -hmm. mind i um but it could be at play here, too, because it has something to do with patterns, some kind of ordering. So that might be coming into play with it. The interesting experience is how does these long term thoughts or beliefs make up our experience? How does it color our experience with thoughts, emotions and chemicals and stuff? So there's long term beliefs like, mm -hmm. um, you know, like if we lived in jungle, the long-term belief might be like that the tiger is bad or something, that mm -hmm. the lion is bad. It relates to a physical stimulus. And then we talked a little bit earlier about how we moved into a concrete jungle. And what I thought was that, you know, before the programming was for things that are going to harm the body. That's what we label that negative feeling, right? It's a negative feeling when you're in danger and fear. And in order to evade from it, it's also a slightly less intense version of that negativity it feels like negative urgency like something urgent is about to happen it's negative mm -hmm. you don't like it so you got to mm -hmm. take some action to avoid the stress or the fear when we don't have the physical danger anymore the, the new fear what replaced it was like ha has to do with pleasure it's something the dynamic between like um what i feel negativity and stress and anxiety about now isn't what's going to kill my body I feel it around what is going to take away my pleasure. So if I'm like doing something 
You know, like I might feel anxiety about having to go to work tomorrow because I don't enjoy work and it's not as pleasurable as video mm -hmm. games. So that sense of danger and, and negativity, it has gone from being related to physical danger to being related to pleasure. And it Precisely. becomes mentally very well, painful. Mm -hmm. um, I would say so it's related to the egoic mind more so than pleasure because you know i feel like now well it's kind of saying the same thing you know now where that comes from it's not physical danger but it's mental danger almost you know you you foresee things having bad outcomes for you maybe socially or economically mm -hmm. and because so the of that, tiger is in the mind then instead of out there in the field we see the fat tiger and we feel danger but nowadays there are no tigers but yeah, something now you see now that you see this this guy going and talking to the girl you like and you feel that same danger mm -hmm. you know it's a lot of our uh, social patterns are very very closely related to you know the survival patterns that we see in animals and biology whether it comes to you know mating uh you know males fighting off aggression isn't that interesting how close the mating uh feelings are uh associated with self-preservation so that when that young man sees his what he's thinking in his mind his girlfriend talking to another guy it's not that he's going to lose this moment with her that his whole existence is being threatened he feels wow. like he's going to die without her mm -hmm. that's so true i love how you, you know, put that together simple, oh sorry yeah no go ahead i was just i was just gonna say it can be simple as you know being proven wrong in an argument you know, mm -hmm. if someone tells you or convinces you that you're wrong, it's almost what like... about this comedian who whose audience doesn't laugh as his joke? They call it dying on the stage. Oh, yeah, that's that's going to make a comedian feel horrible. Mm hmm. Right. He dies on the stage rather yeah. than just, you know, oh, I see they didn't like that joke. Let's make a joke out of the fact that they didn't like that joke and everybody's happy again, you know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we have these feelings and these feelings basically are, are from self-preservation. Uh, the, the feeling of fear is actually related to self-preservation That and it's in our language. The comedian dies on the stage. Yeah, and this all ties back to how our brains are built based off what work, what has worked best for the last 50,000 years and not At the least. last 500 or 50. Exactly. You know, it's just finding new things to, to fill in those holes that it needs to avoid. Right, and, and guess what? That The number of um, items, or let us say potholes to avoid, is just meaning that there, now our list of rules has grown longer and longer and longer. Mm -hmm. and, and it's that list of rules that are often contradictory and get us into trouble. And when we have the idea that if I, uh, if I follow the rules, I'll be safe, and if I don't follow the rules, then I'll be in danger. That's more likely to put people in danger a lot because there's so many rules. But if we can change that rule into the one rule of everything's going to be okay. 
or the rule that the Buddha talked about it, dukkha, dukkha, derota. See that dukkha right now and step out of its way. And that's all there is to it. If we see what it is, we don't step in it. But the human mind is stepping into those thoughts a lot because we're, as we're talking about it, wired to do so. Uh Instinctually wired to do so because the whole wiring system was about self-preservation. Never mind whether the being is happy or not. At least he wants to stay alive. And we've got higher things to do with the human body now than just trying to keep it alive. I want to go take it dancing. <laughs> All right. So the, I guess that kind of touches on a lot of the things that I was. The real reason I was getting into that was I was uh, kind of bringing up the question of does it even matter to look into these long term beliefs? Because, like, we can see that there's this recurring experience of, you know, childhood memories somehow creating right. the answer like, to that is no. That in fact, that's one of the big mistakes that Western Buddhism and psychotherapy make. Western Buddhism in the sense of um, the Mahasi method of noting and noting and noting and noting and noting, looking into it. In psychology, they call it archaeological, uh, psychological archaeology. Oh, oh, hold on. Um, Real quick. So the whole thing was like on top of we don't need to examine them anymore. And I think I kind of understand. So my question that's been driving me crazy for the last couple months, I've been kind of wrestling with this thing is like, okay, I could see the long-term thought habits that have created this negative feeling. Mm-hmm. And now I'm obviously coming to uh, understand that trying to understand how they got here doesn't really do any good. And so I was wondering like, how are you supposed to implement new long-term beliefs or thought patterns and then i just kind of i guess i thought I have that there one was right like, now they, have another right now okay well, that's honestly i think the answer is you don't you disidentify mm-hmm. from your thoughts and you just live in the present right that's they're, they're not, those thoughts you, are not me you don't have to believe anything just experience right here right now you know, and I find a, a, a good practice for, for really keeping you grounded in the present moment. You know, you sit down, you close your eyes, and you say to yourself, I wonder what my next thought is going to be. Mm. And, you know, with that, you're, you're observing your mind so closely, almost like a, a cat waiting for a mouse to come out of the mouse hole. Ah, that's called guarding the mind. That's an excellent way. I hadn't thought about it before, but thinking about what's that next thought going to be. Exactly. And it creates a lot of presence and also a lot of silence in the mind. Because you're just sitting there waiting to see what happens next. Mm -hmm. But that waiting to see what happens next, the waiting quality has the quality of this is okay. That the posture that we're waiting in is a good posture, that we're not uh, waiting. Like uh, an example of that is sitting at the bus stand, sitting there waiting for the bus. We could just sit there and when the bus comes, we can get on it. But most people don't. When they're waiting for the bus or looking for the bus, they're saying, what time is it? Where is that bus? Thinking about, I'm in a hurry. I got to get a town. Why doesn't that bus come? 
the waiting is a means of being the present, present instead exactly. of normal waiting, which is just a means to the ends, which is the future. Uh-huh. So here we're just waiting, and it doesn't matter when the bus comes. Mm-hmm. Like you have to realize all your your thoughts, they they're they're not there to help you, so to speak. You know, whatever it is that you're looking for, it cannot be comprehended by the mind or by thoughts. The mm-hmm. thoughts are just there to distract you from this very present moment. Right. So and the way that we talk about this present moment is like the show. This, I mean, just enjoy the show. Enjoy reality. See what's mm-hmm. going on right now. Um, uh, Shakespeare. Uh, first said it in the sense of all the world's a stage and each one of us is players. I would add a little bit more to that is, is that every one of us is on stage reading a script. And the script that we're reading is all of our childhood memories, all of the rites, rules, and rituals, all the way that things are supposed to be, all of our attitudes, et cetera, like that. That's our script. And when we stop reading that script long enough to take a look around, we'll see that everybody else is reading a script. And maybe I don't have to read the script. Maybe I can just pay attention to what's going on around me instead. And the funny part then is, is that there's a big audience hall there with all these empty seats because everybody's on stage. I can just go sit down and relax and just watch the show. <laughs> And so that's the way of looking at it, that that everything that's happening is just a show, that we can just enjoy the show. But if we don't don't enjoy the show, that means we want to change it. We want to fix it. It's broken somehow. It's dangerous. Mm -hmm. This show is dangerous. But when you recognize it, we don't know whether it's dangerous or not. That's just an old habit. Better to be wise. Look at what's going on. I yeah, I think that makes sense, you know, because what I was trying to point out earlier is this experience that we all have of life, where if you go out every day and you experience life from a state of anxiety, you begin to have a feeling of constant anxiety, right? So if I go out every mm-hmm. day, let's use a more positive thought. Let's say that I go out and I experience the world from a state of bliss. So every day when I go out, I see the best in people. I see wealth and abundance and love. So every day I go out and I'm in this positive state, I begin to experience a certain kind of life. If I do that every day for three months, I begin to experience a kind of belief or a kind of lasting thought or experience or a mood that is similar to what I just experienced. It's not really a thought. Kind of. It's not a thought that just comes and goes. It's more right. of like a mood or an attitude. Or expectation. Yeah. So, yeah. And this is kind of like what we've been talking about the whole time. It's like mm-hmm. you don't have to go and understand how the, the mechanics work. You don't have to know all the brain psychology. If you just do the practice, you will get yourself onto this right track and you'll begin to experience the positivity. That's what I was kind of like wondering about wow. was like, isn't that amazing, though? That's just the Eightfold Noble Path. If we just get on the path and practice it correctly, it does the work for us. Right. And I was kind of hoping that there was some kind of way to use my mind to my advantage to maybe speed it up or understand things. And um, but, yeah, That's no, it's really not about down. that. Huh? 
that's that's exactly what's slowing you down trying to understand it intellectually you can't yeah but if you can enjoy it without understanding it yeah i mean no i mean i could do both i could do it naturally happens to do both ah Uh, that's exactly right that's exactly right that if we are willing to just accept it the way that it is then we can really inspect it and we'll learn a whole lot more about it but if we don't like it the way that it is then we try to avoid it or ignore it or push it away and then we can't see it very well and if we can't see it very well the next time it comes we don't know how to avoid it or work with it and so this is what the investigation is really all about and it's a skill that is developed over time so that you can begin to see not just the thoughts themselves and the thought feeling complex but we can also see this underlying attitude that can that uh let us say flavors or controls our thoughts and feelings that's the thing that i've been getting wrapped up and really investigating and kind of it's it's more different than you know the first stage which is like where you're just constantly being bombarded with thoughts you're always in the mind and you're always thinking and then yeah like i don't know at some point a couple months ago i begin to experience less thoughts and more of what we might call deeper thought or like subconscious, which is like long-term beliefs and long-term experiences. And that's why I really kept coming back to it. I was really curious about it because I keep running into it. And it's really kind of annoying to just wake up and to have this mood that's not really very conducive and it's not the best thing I've experienced. So it kind of made me wonder like, why do I keep waking up in this? Um, but it's just a ah, process. The question is, though, can you wake up also to that annoyance? Well, it never really feels like annoyance. It just kind of is like, I don't know, it doesn't really feel too negative or annoying. I'm just kind of like, I guess, yeah. Uh, just, just that's the word you used. <laughs> yeah, wishing it could be better. I'm craving something better. So slightly annoyed, slightly negative, kind of. I don't know. But then a one All or right. two hours into the day, I'm feeling great. Right. So uh, when those kind of thoughts come up, we can see those too, those kind of thoughts of annoyance or whatever and say, wait a minute, I don't have to feel that way now. Let me, in fact, just take a deep breath and enjoy this moment and I'll be annoyed later. Right. Yeah. Alrighty. That's that's the way that we need to really pay close attention because we think that we're seeing it enough and but then we'll have a negative thought about it like this is annoying or uh oh no uh and they this is where that whataboutism comes from yeah and that uh it comes from this underlying position of uh anything that can go wrong will go wrong yeah or it's not enough so the rest not of enough. Them are not enough yeah Mm-hmm. Need more, need more intensity. <laughs> uh, and so this is why it's so valuable in our practice to gladden the mind to remember to say things like, right now I am secure. Playing the little game of right now the dog is not biting my leg. Right now the ticks are not crawling up my leg. Right now there are no alligators on the floor, you know, and we can just play with it. Right now I feel really great because there's no dangers right now. 
And so these are the thoughts that we need to have rather than the thought of, oh no, something is going to go wrong. And so we're actually beginning to put a different bend on this life view that can be said uh, uh, the life's position of are you a, um, a are you a victim or are you a winner? Because when we're born, we're born into victimhood. Our whole society treats almost every child as a victim. Only very, very rarely is a child born and treated as a winner from the beginning. Very rarely. And you could say that uh, in some cases, the child is not uh, is getting an ordinary education, but by the time he's four or five, all of a sudden something magnificent happens to him. And now he is raised in a wholesome environment. The example of that would be Toku, or where the Dalai Lama is picked up out of his house at the age of three and took to uh, spend his life with nobles. So that's possible that that can happen for a child. But most all of us are raised in an environment where we are a victim when we are born. We are raised as a victim. When we're in high school, we feel like a victim. When we're uh, going to college, we feel like a victim. And when we get that job that we want, we still feel like a victim. And that feeling is actually not quite a feeling, but it's not quite a thought, but it is in the mind, that feeling of or that attitude of being a victim. The attitude that things go wrong, the attitude that life is shit, the attitude of, oh, no, I can't handle it. But if we talk to ourselves about that and recognize for sure, that's not the case. I can't handle this. I got here this far. I made it this far. I can continue on. No matter what has happened in the past, it didn't kill me. I'm still alive. What a relief that is. <laughs> what a relief it is that we managed all of that crap that happened through childhood and we came out. Now we recognize a winner. For a long time, we thought that we didn't survive it, that we were a loser our whole lives. But guess what? You're a winner. You can handle it. And so that's the kind of change of attitude that we need to have, that attitude that I can handle this. And the Buddha says that it's the first, no, uh, not, yeah, it is the first noble knowledge. The first, very first step on the path is when the student says, no matter how much hindrances or no matter how much the mind is obstructed, I can come out of it and come back to this present moment. That's an attitude. That attitude change, the attitude from coming out of being a victim and the attitude of being a winner is the first step on the path. And the Buddha calls this super mundane. He calls it noble. He calls this knowledge a factor of the path. But he also states something very unique. And he says this attitude that we're talking about is not held by ordinary people. That's what makes this noble is that change of attitude from being a loser, being in danger, being subject to all the ills of the world, into the attitude of, hey, I can handle this. My whole world, my whole environment, my friend, is here to support me. But we have to talk ourselves into that because we've been talking ourselves into the attitude of I'm a loser our whole lives. 
and gotten much support from many people. But when we recognize, oh, I can change my attitude. Mm. I can change it right now. I can change it from, I don't know what to do. And uh, it doesn't matter. I'm still okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely. Go ahead. Go ahead, Court. Oh, I was going to say, it definitely seems like it takes a lot of oof, right? Normally, when we have a change of attitude, it's because we had a boss light a fire under us or a car crash. So it, you know, a lot of people maybe don't even think about the power that we have to change uh, our attitude without a cataclysm, you know, to just want to change it. We maybe we get so used to thinking that, you know, I have to really feel it. I have to feel fear, anxiety or love or intensity. I have to feel something intensely to have such a big reaction or make such a big um, thing. So maybe that's why some people do it. The, the reason I really wanted to speak up, I had a question earlier. It was, how do we do stuff without a desire? Because if a desire, see you later on. If a desire is kind of like a, a desire for a past or a future or something else. And obviously on Apanasati, we feel better when we let go of desires. How, how, do, how are we supposed to navigate that like on the path? Because we want to be wholesome and feel good. And that feels best without an agenda, just living spontaneous. So, but how do we like kind of achieve a desire or a goal when the very process of holding on to a desire or a goal is creating pain and suffering? Well, um, it's actually impossible for us to live without any goals or any plans. Mm-hmm. That's not actually what we're looking for. What we're looking for instead is all of the unnecessary plans. Okay. And so this is also a point in, of wisdom is to figure out what's worth doing and then go do it with gusto. Go do it with joy. Go play with your toy. Decide what you're going to do. One student, I remember one student asking, he says, oh, well, if I felt good all the time, I'd just lay in bed all the time. And I said, well, that's not possible. No one lays in the bed. In fact, you could say that there is possibility that people will remain in bed because they're afraid to get out of bed. But that we would uh, we would naturally want to get out of bed in the morning simply because we can and often will whether it's noble or ordinary or low class, we will still think of something to do. We will think of something that needs to be done. Like go to the bathroom. So we begin to see that, oh, this is a matter of wisdom. But the wisdom requires a huge investigation of the kind of thoughts that we've been having because we've been doing stuff out of habit without really looking at what was going on in the mind. Now that we're looking to see what's going on in the mind, like at the point that Alex is, is doing, he's looking at what it now he's really taking a good close look at what's going on in the mind and he does not like it at all. Yeah, he does not like it. So we now even now need to change that attitude 
of seeing what's in the mind and being joyful. Hey, I can see what's in the mind. Never mind the contents of the mind. Congratulate ourselves for being able to see it finally. And keep coming back. I'm really glad I saw that. Never mind what that is, okay? And But the normal mind that we have is, oh, no, I see that, and that's terrible. Instead of congratulating ourselves for saying, oh, no, I'm really happy that I now can see that because only now I can do something about it. And you can or take not. some action from like a different kind of mind state. So, okay. I think a lot of people, when we hear these trainings and thoughts, we, we immediately think unwholesome thought, deny it, block it, ignore it, and never listen to it. But what really we're trying to do is actually uh, recenter in a positive feeling and then take action on it without being tormented. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, exactly that's like the, so. tech at the bottom. <laughs> a lot of people, I, I've just run into these problems over and over with, because people kind of take a training or an understanding in the wrong way. And mm-hmm. they kind of think that unwholesome means ignore it, block it, deny it. It's wrong and faulty and, and uh, Maya or something like that. So this is. Um, Instead yeah. of recognizing, no, that stuff's been keeping you alive your whole life. But that's all it's been doing. That's all it's been doing is just keeping you alive. But congratulations, it was keeping you alive. And here you are. Now we can see it closely and make some improvements. Right. Yeah. I mean, the definitely it's good to have a community, you know, to talk with these things and to get their two cents on it. And um, yeah, for sure. Not yes, always I- as it might seem. Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. We we need a community going, and I'm really glad that you guys are on. I'm really glad to see you, Damadas. I've been, you and I have been old friends for such a long time. <laughs> well, it's so nice to see you. I don't know how clearly you can hear me, but just fine. So, oh, good. So nice to see all of you. I really sure. appreciate your teachings, Damrado. Thanks for everything. Uh huh. Uh huh. Well, this is a lot of fun. I really enjoy meeting you guys. And one of the things that is so heartening for me is, is that you're beginning to see each other. You're noticing each other that there's that uh, in the West, we always have the feeling that we're all you know, on our own. That I've got to do it all myself. And the other side of that is, is that and I need help for it, but I want the help is for somebody else to do it for me. But within Sangha, it's a little bit different because everybody recognizes, yes, I've got to do it myself, but I could do it with my friends who can help me do it. And that's what Sangha is all about. So I very much appreciate you guys spending the time. Both Roberts and Josh, we've had quite a number of people on this call today. Thank you. Glad to be here. I didn't have a lot to say, but... um. I enjoyed listening to your guys' conversation. Yes, Robert, glad to see you. I see somebody on mute that says W.E. Who is W.E.? Oh, Wei Fan. I, I don't know them. Oh, okay. He's still mute, but that's all right. Welcome. 
Guys, do you have any other questions or anything to finish up with this conversation? We've been going more than about two hours now, but we've only recorded for about half of it. Uh, but if you guys are good, I am really overjoyed to have this conversation. It's been really great today. Um, the only thing that I've. Well, like in the beginning, um, I was really looking into right view and uh, how beliefs impact our experience, probably since early January. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I think I've talked about it once or twice uh, in one of the um, calls in this one. And so in the beginning, my practice was or not. It's not really a practice. I just have become to see the roots of thoughts. So when mm -hmm. I experience negativity, I could I could feel the sensations in my body and then I could feel the thought root and then I could see how it relates to some kind of expectation or concept or something else. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to see kind of different layers to experiences. Um, the thing that has really been curious for me, it's really hard to get to, are the deep, deep beliefs. Um, one of them is that I'm alive, that reality is real. These are like really, really deep, really hard things to even, yeah, like I've never even thought to examine that, but that does create a kind of experience. It colors our experience when we wake up and think this is real and when we're mm -hmm. asleep and we don't. So I just, I don't even know how to get in there. And then like on, on the second hand, when we were talking today, it was kind of like, you don't need to get in there and you don't need to rewire the brain in a certain way. You just need to experience the wholesomeness and that mm -hmm. will rewire it over time. And right, we'll rewire it over time. Exactly right. One last point on that, and that is, is that in Sutta number 117, the Buddha talks about the distinction between wrong thought, ordinary right thought or view, and super mundane or noble right view. And uh -huh. that um, the wrong view can be basically said as I can get away with it. I go get what I want and I'll get away with it. That the common machine and God and the police are not good enough. I'll get what I want. Okay. Uh, right view, ordinary right view is no, we can't get away with it. There are rules here that we've got to follow. Okay. And that's quite complicated, but, uh, at the at the end of it, it becomes the authority or the authoritarian says, you've got to do what I tell you to do. My rules are important and I'm going to go get police. I'm going to get a military. And if that doesn't work, I'm going to get a priest. But you're going to do what I tell you to do no matter what. Yeah. All right. And that's the um, uh, the uh, right ordinary view that we have. And that's that super ego that we have. And we could then say that the child is the wrong view who is just wanting and wanting and wanting and doesn't matter what the outcome is versus the uh, parent is saying, no, the outcome is more important than what you want. And then there is the third way, which is what we call the right noble view. But in this case, it's no longer a view or an attitude. It's right noble viewing, looking or investigating. So they begin to look at that uh, uh, child of that wrong view that we have, and we begin to look at that superego or that parent that we have and recognize that, no, we can see things the way that they actually really are. 
right now if we remember to look. And if we can look and see, we can make a change. And if we keep making that change over and over again, it will eventually then change that attitude or that expectation. And it takes a while. And the way that it does it is by repeatedly over and over again, changing our unwholesome thought into wholesome thought, changing our, or even our attitude, our unwholesome attitude into a wholesome attitude. The attitude would be, wow, I could do this. Hey, I did it now. I can do it again. Everything is actually okay. There's nothing wrong with right now. Everything is all right. And so we keep telling ourselves these really marvelous, true things because we can see it as we're looking at it. And so we stop following the rules and we stop setting rules and we just see the way that things really are right now. And huh. make a change into the wholesome. That's all there is to it over and over and over again. Okay, that that explains the issue I was having because I was seeing how certain experiences are really long-term beliefs or thoughts. And I thought that somehow right view was one of those as well. But it's not any kind of view because those no. are like limitations. It's a kind of your mind focusing in on certain things and not others. And so yeah, that kind of, it helped me to click that right view isn't a belief or a kind of this equals that. It's a or way higher moral is just investigating how things really are. That's the viewing or the investigating rather than a view or a viewpoint oh. or an expectation. That in fact, this point confused me many years ago when I was reading the sutta and I would come to that right noble view and is wait a minute, the right noble view is not even stated in the right noble view. The answer is because I was looking <laughs> yeah. for a view and there wasn't one there. Because yeah. it's saying that it's not a right view, it's a right way to view, a right way of looking at things, the way things really are right now. And the way things really are right now is everything is safe, it's not dangerous. Yeah, I think you did say right viewing one time, not right view. You call it right viewing. viewing. And that is, yes, okay. That um, that was my thing that I've been working on. So thank you for helping me to kind of uh, break through that barrier to really understand. Because I've been doing the practice. I've been right viewing a lot. I just was thinking that <laughs> I was doing it wrong because I thought right view was a something a else. Point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That there's an outcome in there. And guess what? There's no outcome. It's just another rolling on. It's just all process and no results. Yeah. And the good thing is it has a kind of signature to it. Like there's a certain kind of feeling, the wholesomeness feeling. When you do it right, it has a fruit. Like you know when you're doing it right. So that's another uh -huh. thing that's, yeah. That's excellent. Great, Corey. I'm glad that you're figuring that out. That is really excellent. Thank you. Well, let's go ahead and finish this call. Has anybody got any final things to say as we catch up? As we suck up? I'm really glad that you guys were on. Thank you so much. It's been quite a show. Thank you, Thank you for having us. <laughs> All right. Ciao, guys. Ciao, guys. Robert, we'll see you later. See you. Bye bye, guys. See you later.